books on books on the brain. <laughs> Welcome back to Books on the Brain, a podcast of books and nonsense. I'm Danielle. I'm Deirdre. And we are here today for a very, very extra special episode. Uh, we have talked about this specific author so many times in our podcast, and we are fangirling a little bit right in this very moment. Um, we, in one of our earlier episodes, we <laughs> we threw out an invitation to become this author's uh, new best friend because we are so obsessed with them. Uh, so I think we like put this into the universe to happen so we're very very excited to welcome Talia Hebert to the podcast today welcome (laughs) thank you thank you so much that was a very lovely introduction (laughs) we are like so in love with you collectively as a podcast we are so excited to have you here oh my goodness yes and Carly unfortunately is not here today um I feel like I should make a joke that a duck came and like turned her power off in her house or something. Um, uh, But unfortunately, Carly could not be here today. So it is just Danielle and I with Talia and we're super, super excited. We are. Oh my goodness. How's everybody doing this? Uh, I I say morning because it's 9am for me, but I well acknowledge it's not 9am for everybody else on this call. Uh, How's everybody's day going? It is still morning for me and it's it's going okay <laughs> um and it's sort of afternoon late afternoon for me it's been a pretty good day so far <laughs> uh, that's good to hear that is good to hear so i have a good day uh waiting for me today then if you are having a good i know what a great way to start off your day the best way <laughs> truly the best way um We have a little tradition on our podcast, specifically on our guest episodes, we like to talk about uh, what TikTok sound is currently stuck in your head, Uh, because we spend a lot of time collectively on TikTok, and I know, Talia, you have have a TikTok account as well, Uh, but do you have any TikTok sounds that are currently stuck in your head? Okay, so my sound's going to be a bit outdated because I've been off technology. for a little bit and I know things move fast on TikTok Um, (laughs) but I've really been thinking about the sound that is like a split it's like part of it is a Nicki Minaj song and then part of it is I believe Lana Del Rey and the Nicki part is really fast and frantic and then the Lana bit is like okay I think I know the one you're talking about amazing description of the sound that is so funny Deirdre, what about you? Any TikTok sounds um, stuck? I am deep in Elmo yeah. sound TikTok. All <laughs> I'm getting is Elmo from Sesame Street from like 2009, which is hilarious because my sister or 2000, is it 2009 or 2000? I don't know. But my sister's 10 years younger than me. So by the time I aged out of Sesame Street, she started watching Sesame Street. Mm. So I like know this era of Elmo that's resurging very well because I was watching it with her. <laughs> so it's just like bringing me back. But the um, balsamic vinegar is just uh, like on a loop awesome. in my head. I also, Elmo TikTok is where I have been <laughs> for the past week. And I'm not upset about it. There's one specific audio where it's like dead silence for probably 10 seconds and it goes, 
Elmo's gonna sue, which I think is so <laughs> funny. Uh, that's been stuck in my head is just just that little bit, but it's it's really funny because it's had a whole like life and death cycle. Like I went on Twitter yesterday, oh, yeah. and people were like, "If I see one more Elmo TikTok, I'm done." And I'm like, "It's only been trending for like." a couple days and people are already like no more the meme I mean, is over the fact that i've been off tiktok for like a week and i talk about tiktok <laughs> with people and you're like oh no yeah oh my stance and i'm like oh, sorry who what <laughs> a little red guy yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, it's funny um so we we the three of us uh co-hosts of the podcast met over book talk which is like you i think at this point we all know is like a little sub uh, community on tiktok that talks about books but we've really seen this like growth in community for the online bookish space over the past two years probably to do with people having more time with the pandemic specifically on book talk um and there's been this phenomenon of like authors joining the platform to create bookish content and promote their body of works and also interact with fans which is so exciting um tell you what drew drew you to creating a TikTok account? So I don't mind admitting that initially multiple people were like, you need a TikTok account. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I, my only exposure to TikTok was my nephews and my younger sister being like, I'm on TikTok and I do a dance and it's really fun. And I was like, this sounds like it is not for me. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, other authors I know started creating their own accounts and saying, oh, there's this really funny TikTok about this book or that book and even sending me links and things like that. And I was like, oh, so it's not entirely 10 year olds dancing. There is other stuff. Um, so then I discovered book talk. And I mean, I am a sucker for any bookish community, any space where we all scream about imaginary universes, I'm there. So I was like, oh, maybe this is for me. Let me sign up. And ever since then, I've been kind of like the very awkward aunt who's trying to be cool, but can't quite get it, but is having a good time. That's what's important. <laughs> I feel like anybody, like after you hit 18 on the app, you're like, eh, should I be here? <laughs> is this legal? Should I be on this? Um, but there is this like great adult community on TikTok, yeah. which is really cool. But yeah, I, I feel like I've also felt that little like, when you have to explain to people like I create content on TikTok and they're like but you're old and you're like please stop please stop what do you mean I don't want to face that no no it's really <laughs> weird when people in your real life are like oh you came up on my for you page I'm like no I didn't don't say that to me <laughs> no 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 not me um have you know how, there's like this uh th this really cool thing that's been happening with specifically with book talk uh i know like bookstagram and book twitter have been around in booktube for millennia it seems uh book talk being a newer online community but it has the power to like really blow up books mm -hmm. that were published like many sometimes like a decade earlier um have you noticed a change in your readership since book talk and how has that impacted you as an author, if you have noticed a change? Um, I haven't. Do you mean like the type of readers or the amount of readers or? Anything. Just have you mm. noticed like a, a change or a shift at all? Mm. I feel like um, 
the interesting thing about BookTok is that once I got on there and I saw what was happening, I realized it was really a huge chunk of what I probably would have described as my target audience is like the mm. driving force behind TikTok. And another of the reasons why I got on TikTok is people kept saying to me, oh, um, I saw someone talking about your books on TikTok. And I obviously being incredibly vain was like, I need to see this. So <laughs> I hopped on and <laughs> to have a nosy. Um, and I mean, I soon got burned because I was scrolling and then I saw someone who had something negative to say about my books. And I was like, oh no, my self-esteem, it's broken. And then I never did that again. Um, but I was in it and having fun at that point. So it was fine. Um, so I've noticed that TikTok seems to include the people who I already probably would have hoped would be reading my books anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's definitely helped with spreading the word amongst that group because I have noticed that especially my brown sister series has seen an increase in readers and then kind of once I saw that you know I have a lot of other books that maybe aren't as well known and I thought hmm, maybe this is an opportunity to get those out there as well so I was experimenting with making TikToks about my books and I did notice that you know when they sort of caught it's a bit like a flame isn't it it's hard to light a candle for me anyway because I'm very clumsy but once it catches it's burning (laughs) and you know if I manage to make a book catch on TikTok I do see an increase in readers who are getting the book and also readers who are say signing up to my newsletter and Mm. messaging me and saying oh I'm reading your books and I'm having a great time so I really appreciated that about the platform. You are the only author newsletter I am subscribed to. (laughs) Oh my goodness. <laughs> I can't tell you like how flattered I am. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, I, oh, I can tell you how it happened. I read The Princess Trap. That was the first book of yours I read. I read it because I saw a TikTok. Shocker. And um, at the end of the book, it was like, sign up for my newsletter to get the like last bit of their story. And I was like, I need this. <laughs> and I've been subscribed ever since. Oh my goodness, that's actually really great to know because I was kind of like, I have like a bonus epilogue. Like I thought of something for this couple and it's really cute. I can't just add it to the book. And then I was like, oh, what if Mm -hmm. I make it a little, so I'm glad that the bonus content is working for the newsletter. Thank you. (laughs) It, you, you caught me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think like for me, I... I was introduced to your books through book talk and they were always books that people were like raving mad over and so excited about. Uh, and it's really cool because uh, like it's one thing for like book talk to love a book, but I feel like it's dispersed past that. Like my little sister messaged me. She was like, I read this book this week that I really loved and it was get a life Chloe Brown. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> should be reading those books but I feel like it's like it's totally it's so cool to see like the ripples of when books get really popular on book talk sometimes they just stay on book talk but sometimes they uh, they get bigger and they go further Mm. and I was like yes 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 I was so excited I'm like well once you're done with that just do all of these these you can can borrow them whatever you need I, I've seen that too because I um, I went down to London for a week and while well, I had some free time obviously I was like I'm gonna go to a bookshop so I went to this bookshop and I saw what I knew was a, a, it was a Colleen Hoover book that had been published some years ago on the shelf like Pride of Place and I was like 
loved that, but also confused because that's not usually how <laughs> the show books. And then I thought, oh my goodness, I know why this has got to be TikTok. So I had a look and sure enough, it was blowing up on TikTok and the impact was so palpable. Yeah, it's it's really crazy, like to even think of the Adam Silvera books, like they are getting on 10 years being out. That might be an exaggeration. I don't actually know when they came out. Uh, I shouldn't say things I don't know the answer to, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's it feels so cool. And I think like sometimes book talk gets some shade thrown at it from other online communities of like, why are they blowing up these books from years ago when there's new books coming out? But I'm like, a lot of people didn't have time to read until recently or like mm -hmm. come back into their love of reading until recently so I'm like we have a lot of good books to catch up on so let us live our lives <laughs> and catch up on those good books and we will meet you in the present eventually <laughs> once we get there <laughs> one day one day we'll get there um so something that we talk about a lot on the podcast and gets talked about a lot on TikTok is your representation inside of your books and the way that you write all different types of representation and we feel like at least your books have really been championed as being a great example for books that have diverse representation of different identities while simultaneously treating each of those identities with the utmost importance and care. So why do you think that it's so important in contemporary publishing and contemporary writing to have such a wide range of representation, especially like not only in your body of work, but inside of each series that you publish? I feel that kind of, in art and culture over the years there's been so many barriers to entry based on you know classism and racism and ableism and all sorts of things that for a long long time art as great as it might have been was just so far removed from reality it was so small a slice of reality as to almost be fantasy in its own way and with time, I feel like that gap between reality and what we represent in art and culture has narrowed. And I feel like the goal for all of us is to have it be an accurate reflection. And so for me, writing books that represent, you know, the diversity of experiences and that I just see in my day-to-day -day life, either through my own experience or through people around me, people I love, I feel like that's just my my contribution to redressing the balance. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it does. And I I I think it's so incredibly important. And you often will see people speak about like this was the first time I felt myself being represented in a book or this is the first time I saw someone like me in a book. And I think for people who have not had that light bulb, light bulb moment, maybe they have been represented their whole lives and they don't know how important it is to see someone like them, like mm. getting a happy ending or like being loved or getting to go on these grand adventures. It's really, it's, it's really profound how important it is, mm. especially, uh, for people who haven't seen that or like who are told by um outside forces that they don't get to have that and you're like i do get to have that like <laughs> i speak as a plus size woman like it, it was only really this year and a little bit of last year i've started 
uh, feeling like I saw myself being represented in, like specifically the romance genre, like that's the genre I read most often. Um, and it's, it's so small, but it's so important. It is so important, at least to, it's not small, but you know what I mean? It's, it's the mm. small things of like, and I understand like, I feel only a small portion of that as a white woman, but um, I think it's really cool that we're having like really intense and serious conversations about representation and demanding more representation and better diversity from all of the art and media we consume. Yeah, and I feel like the more I've like expanded my reading, especially since coming to Book Talk, because I was barely reading before that point because of life, um, actually seeing like my world reflected in the worlds that I'm reading has been so incredible. I feel like when now that I kind of like go between reading books that are intensely diverse, like have like a lot of LGBTQ couples, there is mental health rep, there are plus size people, like the world is reflected in them. And then the next book I read is just like two pretty white people with like kind like itty bitty problems. I'm like, wait a second, like this is all I was consuming before. How is that possible? Because that's not the world we live in. Mm -hmm. And so I love that I can escape into worlds that continue to reflect the world that I live in. And it's not like a narrowed view, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. I also just watched um, your Zoom call that you did with Casey McQuiston, um, like months and months and months ago. <laughs> and you had said, um, writing like mental health into your books that you wanted to show um, that people that are coping with all different types of mental illness can have that happily ever after. And that just like really hit me. I was like, oh my God, that is what you do. And it's amazing. Well, thank you. Cause it's lovely to hear that I am like achieving that aim. It's what I hope to write, but it's nice to, you know, actually do it. <laughs> I think um, anytime on like book talk, you see those like recommendation videos where people have all those like really fancy transitions. You're like, how are you doing that? Uh, when it's about books with really great representation, your books are always on those lists, uh, which I think is a huge mm -hmm. achievement. And I think just speaks to your character as a human being, which I think you're pretty cool. Um, and I think- Thank you. You're welcome, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, I know there are so many times uh, and I kind of were reading the Brown Sisters trilogy mostly at at least Deirdre finished it and then I had started it so we talked about it a lot while uh, both of us are reading the books and there were so many times that we were like god ah, this is this is really a game changer and like having gone back and read the Princess Trap and reading the Ravenswood series as well um there's so many moments where these characters just feel so real and that you could meet them on the street and they feel like full humans and with that comes talking about the more challenging stuff that people uh, experience and i think you do it in such a great way i always feel so comfortable recommending your books to people being like you're looking for this they have it the books haven't and it's good please read them <laughs> romance let's talk romance for a second um <laughs> i love romance books romance like i am a romance connoisseur that's it's all i've been exaggerating maybe it's <laughs> once you get in it's really hard to leave mm -hmm. i can't stop it's like a little crazy <laughs> it's the best place to live but they don't let you leave you get to live there for the rest of your life um i think like uh 
it kind of ebbs and flows conversations online about like romance books we see like really bad takes from people who don't get what romance really is about uh, and we see some really great takes about people talking about how romance has helped them, like, discover things about themselves or heal parts of themselves. Um, as a romance author, what what are some of the best and worst things about writing in that genre? Um, and are there things that you could wish, are there things you wish you could change around the stigma of romance in the publishing industry? Well, first of all, I love romance too I'm a super romance fan um which is why I, you know started writing romance because I knew I wanted to write and it was like well if I'm reading like 20,000 romance novels surely that makes sense um and and you I think you already mentioned this Danielle but one of the things I love is that when you write a happy ending for someone you know, depending on who that person is and what they have to face to get their happy ending, you can say something really significant about who deserves to be loved, how they deserve to be loved. And, and that's one thing that I love about romance. It is so personal, so emotional, yet so easily can be political as well. Um, and I feel like that really connects the personal and the political, which I like. Um, I know that there is a stigma about romance and Possibly because I started as like a diehard romance reader. My attitude to that has always been grow up. And also that's really none of my concern. Like, <laughs> that's a you problem. I don't care. <laughs> um, and I always feel really bad when I say that because, you know, I know that the stigma is actually a problem. Like it's, it's bad that when I'm in a group of people and they're doing this, so what do you do? And I say, I write romance novels. People are always going to say something ridiculous or maybe even offensive. So I feel like I should take it more seriously, but I just, I just have to laugh at you. Like, <laughs> I can't take you seriously <laughs> because I feel like to just write off an entire genre that has so much depth and interest, just really say something about you. And as we all know, it stems from like preconceived gendered notions about what matters and supposedly feelings and love don't matter because it's much more intellectual to be miserable all the time. I just can't respect that viewpoint. <laughs> no, what a retweet. sad life to live. <laughs> I think like the, it's so interesting to see, uh, because like we can see the cyclical nature of this conversation because it happens like once a month on specifically on book talk, somebody has like a bad take about romance and you're like, could you just not? Uh, and then <laughs> it's interesting to see this the stems of what those comments come from because it's all like patriarchal oppression of like women or like sapphic people cannot be cannot exist in a world that they are not meant to be objects for for pe people i'll just say that in general uh but it's really interesting to see the response to that and like the romance genre sometimes can feel like isolating because people don't want to talk about it because what you said Talia about people feeling like uncomfortable or feeling like they should be shamed for reading not shamed but like there's something like you have to keep reading romance private but I'm like you don't have to it's the same as reading any other genre mm -hmm. um if it's about like explicitness I've read more explicit fantasy books than romance books sometimes <laughs> it's it's mm. not about that um but it's interesting to see how the community now is able to support when people are being like when people ha talk about romance 
they're met with people being like, yeah, I love this too, which I feel like is a shift from mm -hmm. like people being like, you shouldn't like that. Cause yeah. there's some, there is some like wild and out there romance. I won't, I won't <laughs> skip past. There's some things out there that are not for everybody, but there is an audience for every book out there. So mm -hmm. I think uh, it's cool to see how much support romance as a genre has been getting as of late, which is pretty cool. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like I think I'm probably the newest person on the podcast to enter into the romance genre. I really only started reading it like thoroughly last year. And not that I had anything against it. It was just something I had never explored until that point. And I think the most exciting thing was realizing the depth that romance books can have. Like it's not just about two people finding each other and falling in love and like the trials and tribulations about that. A lot of times it's about like personal growth and like friendships that happen along the way and communication things. And I'm so impressed every time I read a romance book that just like takes me out of my own world and makes me sort of like think about the implications of the things that happen inside of these books. Mm -hmm. um, Cause it, it's, I feel like people really think about like fantasy books. Like you get to sit in on like war meetings and like battle planning and all of this stuff. But it's like romance books do almost the same thing. Like they create these worlds and these dimensions between characters. Characters have so much depth in romance books. It like, the amount of times I've cried from romance books, <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a romance book that I've read that I haven't cried. I think I cry every yeah. single time I read a romance book. Either I'm happy or I'm like, oh, this is the saddest thing that's ever happened to this person. Why? <laughs> I never cry reading anything. I don't know why. Just anything. I wish. <laughs> I, okay, I need to, I, I have a sidebar. This Because this is the funniest thing I think I've ever seen on TikTok. Uh, someone, it was like a stitch. It was someone was like, what, what is something that you would, the one thing that you would say from like your burning house? And it was a girl on BookTok. I can't remember her handle. I'm so sorry. If you're listening, I maybe you're listening. Uh, let, let us know and we'll credit you. Um, but it was her copy of New Moon. But she, she had like a full shelf of Twilight books. She was like, it's not that I don't have any other copies. This one's just water stained from my <laughs> tears. And the pages are all like warped. There's like the part at the beginning of the book where Edward leaves that you can like, she opens the page and it's all like wrinkled. And she's like, it's just my tears. And I'm like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, I'm like, yeah, you should save that. That is a, that is That's a artifact at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, made me laugh. That's why I listen to, although listening to romance audiobooks can sometimes be tough. <laughs> I don't have to worry about staining on my books <laughs> listening to romance audiobooks is a whole other book <laughs> there's like i it's i just finished one and i think i spent like because i only listen to audiobooks in the car now when i'm like commuting i think i spent most of the time with my hands off the wheel like my ears. i'm like ah! it's like 9 a.m why am i listening to this uh it is I was listening. I was actually listening to one of your books earlier this week, Talia, and oh, I was at work. And <laughs> I was like, I was doing something where like my mind could wander. I was like sorting, I think I was sorting laundry. And um, 
it got to a very, very intense scene. And there's like people coming in and out of the room and I like have my headphones in and I was like, I can't do this. I really have to turn this off. It's just not working. I was like, I I can't. I need to do this in private. (laughs) It's so fun. I do commend romance readers that can read just about anything in public. Like that's a skill. Oh yeah. No, I don't do audio much, but reading, you know, books or ebooks, I'll read it anywhere. I'm I'm in my own world. You're interrupting and you should leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great <A> mood. <laughs> um, so something that is sort of par for the course with romance books is tropes. Um, some people love them, some people hate them, some people hate to love them. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite trope to write? And then follow up to that is do you have a favorite trope to read? So my favorite trope to write, I think, is probably like friends to lovers, especially with oh. like a lot of pining unrequited love it's just Mm -hmm. delicious um but my favorite trope to read and one that I would love the chance to write I'm always trying to shoehorn this trope in and I haven't managed it yet um is marriage of convenience or like arranged marriage something with a marriage (laughs) I'm trying so hard (laughs) that is one of my like longest reading tropes I started reading arranged marriage fan fictions way too early and like marriage of convenience there's just something about it something about it it's true it's so true i i fake fake dating and marriage of convenience Mm. i live for it i think there's like a i mean there's probably a thousand of these years and years and years ago i read a fanfic it was like a harry potter was a harry and draco fanfic where they just had to get married for reasons i forget magical reasons (laughs) (laughs) And I probably can blame that one fanfic for my obsession. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep, yep. It always starts somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Um, Deirdre, do you have any tropes that you really love? Um, well, the one that I made up, I don't think it's actually a trope, but... Um, <laughs> it sounds <laughs> it's, interesting. It's when, um, it's when one of the love interests has to sign an NDA. <laughs> it's like it's so stupid it's but for some reason because I've like had to sign them for work before there's like this bit of tension that's like they're not going to break the NDA like I know that's never going to come up in the story because it never has in the ones that I've read but there's just something in my brain is like ooh, this is spicy (laughs) wait so like the threat that they might break the NDA yeah, or that like someone will like hold the NDA over them. Yeah. Like, oh. I don't know. There's like that legal implication yeah. as part of it. Okay. Like, That's so I interesting. I like it. I've only read a couple, but <laughs> that happened. <laughs> I, I, I want to think about this more. That's but so interesting. Wasn't the first book that made you realize that? Was the Princess Trap? Was yes. it not the Princess Trap? <laughs> Oh my God, now I have to think about this even more. (laughs) Yeah, so it was in Red, White, and Royal Blue. Mm -hmm. um, And then it was in 
A Princess for Christmas by Jenny Holiday. Mm. And at that point, I was kind of like, mm, I can see why I enjoy this. And then it was in The Princess Trap. And I was like, why is this a thing that I'm really gravitating towards? <laughs> I distinctly remember Deirdre sending me that message being like, I think I like this. I'm like, well, good for you, my dude. I am so proud of you for finding something you're into. Uh, I'm trying to think if there are any other tropes that I really like scream about. Oh, I love the one bed trope. Yeah, forced proximity. Oh God, but I, yeah. I love the one bed trope when it's really self-aware mm. and or it's kind of like slid in there as like a nod to the trope, but it's not necessarily utilized. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love when there's one bed and they start out like we're not sharing that bed and they go to sleep separately. But then for reasons beyond their control, they do end up sharing the bed. Yeah. <laughs> As of recently, I've been really into like single parent tropes. I don't know why. There's something about mm-hmm. a single parent. Very nice. Um, and I also really like the grumpy sunshine trope. Oh. There's just something about a grumpster finding love that I'm like, oh, it could happen <laughs> to anybody. <laughs> great. <laughs> it's great. You were kind of the first author that a lot of us encountered who had trigger warnings in all the versions of your books, like the physical, the E and the audiobooks. Um, can you talk a little bit about that decision as an author to include a content warning? Was this something that you always wanted to include or was this something you kind of explored with each book that you published? And how much do you um, say authors, ha- how much say do authors have in kind of like putting content warnings mm-hmm. in their books? So I started out self-publishing and I still self-publish now. I'm like a hybrid author. And I think it was much more common when I started writing for self-published authors to be writing content warnings as opposed to traditionally published authors. Um, I remember, I think it was Cole McCade was one of the first authors who put like content and trigger warnings in the front of the book. And I was like, oh, this is super helpful. Thank you. Because in the past I've been reading a book having a great time and then something happens and I'm like ah now I can never read this book again because you know I wasn't prepared and now you've hurt my feelings um <laughs> and so I just think it's so valuable you know as a reader I have found it valuable or would have found it valuable and so it just seemed common sense for me to put it in my books um and so I'd been doing that for a while when I eventually got my traditional contract my first with Avon Avon Romance, and I was like, I need a content warning. That's what I do. Um, Mm -hmm. So I said this to my editor, and she was like, okay, well, what we could do, you know, there's different ways we could do it. Um, And one of the ways she mentioned was kind of putting an author's note at the beginning. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. So that's what we did, and we've continued to do it. And it's not something that I'm willing to negotiate on because I think it's so valuable and also such a minor thing. You know, you get warnings on so many different kinds of media. You get them on film certificates. You even get them on like CDs. God, I just said CDs. Do they have CDs anymore? Well, (laughs) you know, you got warnings on CDs. So why not in books when books are literally the only form of media that projects inside your head? So it seems like they should have the most warnings because they're in your brain. And once something's in your brain, it's really tricky to get it out. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how, you know, content warnings became so important to me. It blows my mind every time I pick up one of your books. I'm just like, thank God. Thank you so much. (laughs) This really is, it's, it's like, 
it puts me at a peace of mind knowing that no matter what any of your books I walk into, I'm going to know what it is and the way you write them too. Cause I feel like some people just kind of give like blanket mm-hmm. content warnings or trigger warnings. And this goes for like reviews too. Like I know I'm not the best at writing out content warnings when I'm doing reviews, but you've really mastered like how to give a good content warning. Thank you. That's You're welcome. That was great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think content warnings should become standard practice in publishing. I think mm-hmm. tell you you're so right. Like it's such a small thing, but it's so meaningful to people. And I hate, 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 hate when people are like, content warnings are spoilers. I'm like, well, they shouldn't be. Because (laughs) if you're using traumatic or, like, uh, really heavy content as, like, plot twists or, like, the crux of your story, Mm. mayhaps uh, reflect on that and think about, like, (laughs) why are you doing that? Uh, And I think, I think there's... The more that we can talk about it openly, the more uh, comfortable people are, like, just talking about their own experiences, right? Like, just to see something they don't on paper of, like, this is what happens in this book, just to see those words. Sometimes it's like, oh, we can talk about this, and this happens, and we can uh, we can have a larger conversation about this, which is mm-hmm. really exciting. I think an exciting step forward. And even, like... I'm not a parent, but like as a parent to have content warnings in the front of books, like I know my mom let me buy whatever book I wanted when I was growing up, (laughs) which was maybe not the vibe uh, when I was like 12 reading like fully adult romance books. Uh, But maybe that would have been a good tool as a parent to be like, oh, I can flip to the front page, see what's in this book, see if my kids should be reading this book. Or at least like if they're going to read it, what topics should I be expecting them to have questions about mm. when they leave yeah. the book? Because you don't want to deter people from reading books, but at least it opens the floor of like, oh, there's sexual assault in this book. I will be ready for my child or my friend or whatever, my partner to come to me with questions about this topic if they, or just to talk about it. I think that's yeah. kind of funky. That's so true. And it also is kind of like, you know, like you mentioned in the context of giving it to children or even for yourself, a lot of the time, if I'm reading a book and then there is like sexual assault, I'm like, and I wasn't ready Mm -hmm. and now I can't finish the book. Whereas if I start and you say, hey, just a heads up, I'll be like, okay, cool. I'm in a good place for this. Let's do it. So it really makes, you know, it makes the most of the book, I think, and maximizes the potential for the reader's experience. And I guess uh, just a follow-up question for you, like how do you sort of figure out how to say your content warnings? Because mm-hmm. I think we've had this conversation a lot on Book Talk, and I've seen a couple people say, you know, like as I'm writing my book, I don't know like what's going to trigger somebody, mm-hmm. so why would I write a content warning? Mm-hmm. Um, like how do you sort of decipher what could potentially be triggering for somebody? Mm-hmm. That is triggering. Be- triggering. <laughs> that is tricky. <laughs> wow (laughs) um yeah that's a tricky one because you know you don't know what you don't know and Mm -hmm. in since I started wanting to include content warnings and therefore paying attention to them more when I saw them 
I've learned things that affect and bother people that I wouldn't have known. Um, so for me, I always start with the ones that seem obvious to me personally. Um, and another good clue is if I've written something and I've maybe felt the need to ask for a second opinion on how I've written it just to make sure that I've done it like sensitively enough, then that's probably something that will need to be mentioned in the content warning. Um, then one thing that I do is I'll call up my friend. My, I'm lucky because my best friend is also a writer, so I can just have these mm. conversations. But you might need to find a writery person if you don't have one to hand. Um, I can call them and sort of run through the book, things that happen and be like, does anything sound dodgy to you? Is there anything there that you think I need to think harder about or that you would say, oh, you need to make a note of that? And so it's really that collaborative um, element because, you know, I've had author friends say to me like, hey, I've got this scene in my book. Do you think that warrants a warning? And, and we, you know, we might get a few more people in and really discuss it. Um, so it is tricky. You do have to think about it. You do have to ask for advice. But it's a responsibility that I think most of us will take on gladly because if we're writing these things, then obviously we want to write them as best we can. And understanding them, I would argue, is key to that. Sorry, that was so such a good answer. I had to think of it. I was like, wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the brain was catching up. Um, do you think we'll ever get to a point that this does become a universal practice in the published industry to put content warnings in books? I think we could because, you know, it's universal practice in other areas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I know that some people are actually really against them. Um, but I think that they're like will... viscerally. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are so passionate. <laughs> but I think that <laughs> please they... find another hobby. <laughs> yeah, anything else. Pick up sports. They will be like <laughs> pick up sports. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll be ultimately overruled because the key element here is that you're always in control of your reading experience. You can, if you know that you don't need these warnings, you're going to be cool with whatever, yeah. and you don't want to feel even a little bit pre-warned by anything. Then you open the page, it says content warning or note about the book, and you go, I'm not reading that, and turn the page. Like, it's so easy. No one is forcing it down your throat. So I do think that it will become standard, and I hope it does soon. Yeah, it's like a question of accessibility, right? Like, if you're trying to make books as accessible to people as Mm. possible, which is something I think there's been a shift towards in the past few years of trying to make the reading community and books as accessible to people as possible uh i think it's a vital part of that for people and exactly if you you could just flip a page my friend you could just flip the page if you don't want to read it but it's important to be there for others like we see um on storygraph it's been like this really interesting i mean it's kind of divisive i guess about like people being able to put their own content warnings on books um so it's interesting to see what the readers think is content warnings in books versus what the author thinks is content warnings in a book but at least they're out there right and there's books like booktriggerwarnings.com or stuff like that where it is accessible to Mm -hmm. people but it's an extra step it would just be easier if it became a standard practice in publishing just a little page maybe we could then have like a standardized kind of shorthand or an agreed upon something or other because I'm just thinking because you mentioned the story graph and I know that one of the controversies there was 
there were suggestions that some readers were putting content warnings for for content that wasn't actually in the book and so yeah. I'm thinking if it was standard even things like that would be reduced because if we have these standard like sort of tick boxes is this in the book or isn't it that makes it a lot less subjective and so it's just a lot clearer for everyone and still really helpful but mm-hmm. that's just me kind of imagining an ideal future <laughs> yeah it takes out the the it, it smallens it, it narrows rather smallens it narrows the <laughs> the error of the margin of error for it right yes, it, it's coming exactly. the author and the publisher people don't have to misconstrue what is what is happening in the book or put their mm. own spin on things uh, because that's what people are being forced to do now is put their own spin on things because it's not a standard exactly. practice yet. So if any publishing houses are listening to this, <laughs> please add it. <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, so Deirdre and I, if you've, not, if you've gotten this far on the podcast and have not realized we're really big Talia fans, uh, <laughs> and we have like binged our way through the Ravenwoods series. Um, it is so delightful. It is such a great, uh, such a great book series. Um, I read somewhere, read or listened to, I can't remember. It's been a long week. Uh, that it was supposed to be a trio of books and then you added the novella. Is that true? Or am I yes. crazy? So yes. I had planned to write three books, but then after I wrote the first book, um so in the first book the heroine has an abusive ex and he is currently with another person and after I wrote it it was kind of like well if we've established that he's abusive I can't just leave her with this guy so I had to write a book where she escapes (laughs) um what was your experience writing the Ravenwood series what um yeah what just what was your overall experience what do you love about it so that series really started off with something that I wrote for fun because I was feeling a bit overworked and I couldn't decide where I wanted to go next and so I was like wouldn't it be super cute if because I live in a small town um and it has like all the potential downsides of a small town and I was like, wouldn't it be great if someone was living in a small town and they were experiencing the worst of it and they were being ostracized and then something happened that just really opened their world up and they got a happy ending and it was all super triumphant and lovely. Um, so I started just playing around with this idea and writing bits of it for fun. And then it was so easy to write and so much fun to write. I was like, okay, might as well get a book out of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I wrote the book and by the time I'd finished the book, I was like, I definitely want to keep doing this. You know, the heroine has a sister, the hero has a best friend. I could do so much with that. So I decided it was going to be a series. Um, And actually what helped was when I released the book, it was like my best performing book to date. And I was like, oh, it worked. Because up to that (laughs) point, (laughs) I hadn't done anything like these books. I was like, oh, okay people like it that's great motivation to keep going um so I planned my series I was feeling like a very business savvy author and then I ruined it with my unplanned novella that is really awkwardly positioned but I really wanted to write it um and the whole thing just was very cathartic because it was like I was taking all the worst things that I had seen and experienced growing up where Mm. I grew up and I was just like fixing them 
so delightful. I I love the novella. I think the novella might be Thank my you. favorite. Well, that's hard. I like all of them. Uh, I just liked how um, uh, I just like that it felt like everyone gets a happy ending, which everyone does get a happy ending. Oh, it's so delightful. Yeah, I I I don't think I've read like a small town romance yet where it felt like almost like the social pariahs were taking back their themselves like they were reclaiming their space mm -hmm. and I was like oh this is exciting I really <laughs> there's something about this that I'm really enjoying and it also just like reminded me not that my town is small but it's small enough mm -hmm. and it reminded me of my town and like people that I see at the grocery store and I was like oh man I would love to have some of these conversations with people <laughs> that live near me <laughs> Um, so this is your sign, uh, listeners at home, if you have not uh, had the pleasure of reading the Ravenswood series yet, uh, do yourself a favor and, and do it. It is, it is, a, they're just great books and they are meaningful and they're funny, they're funny and they're very, very uh, impactful and sweet and nice balance of the two. So do yourself a favor and uh, read those books should we move on to current reads um i have one last question yeah, 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 before yeah, yeah. to current reads and i think this will be a quick one um do you have any impulse that you'll ever write outside of the romance genre or are we just going to continue to receive romance books from you forever and willingly ever? and accepting <laughs> yes <laughs> i feel like one thing i love about romance is that you know, there's so many subgenres. You can take anything and make it a romance. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like I would love to. I'm so excited by the concept of writing different genres, but they would always at their core be romances because mm -hmm. I, I only care if people are kissing. Retweet. <laughs> okay. Current reads Amazing. time. Current reads time. Um, would either of you like to go first? Boring. Um, I I can go first. Okay, here's the thing. Um, I I feel like I start all my current reads with like, okay, here's the thing, because I feel like I'm <laughs> everyone prepare yourself. Um, I've I've read 17 books so far this year, so she's having a moment. She's Good for you. No, it's it's like it's like stress reading. It's not someone someone stop me. Um. But I recently read The Sinner's Duet by Sophie Lark, which I don't remember if you read it or not. I don't know why. No, I read a different one. I read um, The Brutal Prince gotcha. a couple weeks ago. So here's the thing. If you don't know about this duet, it's a serial killer romance, which we you know when Delia said there's there's subcategories of romance, there is so many subcategories of romance. Um <laughs> And objectively, the books are very good. Objectively, they are well-written. The characters are incredibly dynamic. The The relationship between the characters is really profound. Subjectively, I don't know if I like serial, serial killer romances. I think maybe that is where I draw a soft line of like, can I suspend my disbelief enough to really get into the romance of this? Objectively, very good books. People love this duet uh, online. Mm -hmm. Which, woo woo, uh, go you. I think it gets a little dicey for me about, yeah, just like how graphic some of it was. I was like, my tummy kind of hurts from reading this. <laughs> and it's like that interesting moment where it's like, it's so 
grotesque and graphic, but then you get explicit sexual content where you're like, ah! <laughs> how am I supposed to feel mm -hmm. about this? Um, <laughs> but I think I ended up giving the overall thing three stars. I'm like, it's a good book. I just don't think it's like 100% for me. But Sophie Lark is like blowing up currently online. Yeah. So if you've not read any of their books, check them out. Um, I think there's, I think the other, the Brutal Prince is the Mafia world. Yeah, it's like a Mafia series. And then there's another like series that I think is their kids at a academy, like learning how to exist in the mafia world a and mafia i've been told academy. to read that yeah <laughs> i think I don't quote me on that i think that's what they're about <laughs> i like very briefly glazed the synopsis of the first book that's really funny all right that's what i currently have recently read um i have spent this entire hour gushing over toya so i'm gonna gush about another author really quick um i just finished spoiler alert by olivia dade Ooh. and oh my god i i, I feel olivia like dade. all i've been doing this week is screaming about it on tiktok because i'm so obsessed and danielle <laughs> is like the force that was trying to get me to read this book but she neglected to tell me that there's this whole scene where marcus the love interest tells april that he will take her on a date to go donut tasting. And I love donuts. That's like the one <laughs> thing in life that really just gets me through these like crappy times. And the idea of somebody taking me on a date of tasting donuts, I was like, that's it. I'm sold. This, this is the pinnacle. I am officially jealous of a fictional character. What the heck? Um, and so if you haven't read Spoiler Alert, basically April and Marcus are on an AO3 server for this um, fan fiction of a book and TV series called Gods at the Gates. And Marcus is actually an actor on the show and April has sort of dabbled in cosplaying but they are anonymous online. And so April one day decides that she's finally going to step outside and show the world like what she's into. So she posts one of her cosplays on Twitter. It blows up and she is plus size. So part of it was people really stand, standing behind her for putting this character as a plus size person. Um, but then of course the negative effects of that as well. And so Marcus as the love interest of that character on the show comes onto Twitter asks her out on a date and it all goes from there. Um, and it was just so well done. I feel like my personal favorite formula in a romance book is like good banter, really well written and like enough spice that mm. I'm satisfied. And then a decent amount of human error. Like I, when it's warranted and it's like both people are kind of having what we all have in like, um, deciding things to tell people like trust issues and all that kind of stuff. It's so satisfying to see that in characters. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't like, oh man, this isn't what I thought about this. Like it was so good. Um, and I immediately read the second book after. So that is my current obsession. <laughs> yes, I love spoiler alert. I love anything Olivia's written, mm -hmm. all of it. <laughs> fantastic, so fantastic. I, and, and my current read is um, 
I don't know if it can be called current, even though I'm currently reading it, because I'm reading Pride and Prejudice, um, which I'm doing for two reasons. Firstly, because I'm writing a book that's kind of based on Pride and Prejudice. Um, I'm writing a series called Skybriar, which is a spin-off of my brand sister series, and each book is kind of based on an Austen novel, but it's going to be a rom-com. Um, and everybody's black. Um, and so I'm reading it like technically as research, but also because I went to the garden center near me and I found these gorgeous editions of all her oh. books with like gold or silver pages. And oh, they're so stunning. Um, so obviously I had to buy them. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> like this is urgent. So I bought them. And since I bought them, I now have to read them to make it worthwhile. <laughs> of course. And I'm having a great time. She's, it's just amazing how every single line is so deeply sarcastic. I mm-hmm. can only admire that. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. We all do. <laughs> you could not um, see. So do you have. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry I was sorry, just going to say. No, you go. Deirdre and I were losing our minds during that entire thing. Because all I want <laughs> is to read that book. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Um, is there a release date for the first book in that series yet, or is it kind of TBD? Um, I kind of messed it up because it was, I was supposed to have written it like a year ago, um, but I messed up my shoulder so I couldn't write it, so mm-hmm. it got pushed back. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, I'm just looking at my little deadline wall. Um, I'm supposed to finish the first draft in summer, which means it will probably be out in 2024. That's what I'm going to say. But don't quote me on it because that is not an official date. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Keep your eyes peeled then. Keep your eyes peeled. We love having things to look forward to in the future, (sighs) even if it's undetermined. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you so much, Talia, for coming on the podcast. It has been absolutely delightful getting to chat with you. Um, If our listeners are not following you on any social media, where can they find you? Um, So I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Talia Hibbert and I have a Facebook reader group called Talia Hibbert's Hopeless Romantics um, where we just share memes basically uh, and I also have a website taliahibbert.com with all the information about my books and I'm trying to think what other information is on there no it's just books um, so yeah lots of places amazing and you should sign up for Talia's newsletter oh yes great. thank you so much <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, you can head on over to our Instagram if you made it to the end of this episode at Books on the Brain Pod, and you should leave the heart with the little sparkles on it um, as a little we listen to this episode. Um, and you can also follow Danielle and I on our own social platforms. I'm at Deirdre Rose Morgan on Instagram and TikTok. I'm at d.j.books on TikTok and on Instagram. And we will chat to you in the next one. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye. Goodbye.